Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things that you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Let's just uh, pray quickly. Gracious Father, we pray that as we consider this great theme of going for godliness, that you will bless us, that you'll open your word to us, that you will teach us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the title of the talk is uh, based, as uh, David said, on the first part of verse 12 in our our reading. Let's... Oh, looks like we're having trouble. Yeah. There we are. I've underlined the uh, relevant bit of the verse there where it says that it, that is, the grace of God that brings salvation, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, you know, when I read the Bible in my personal uh, Bible times, I very often find myself asking questions. I can recommend that um, because I find it very instructive to ask myself questions. What does this mean? What does that mean? Why does he say this? What uh, is he getting at in this passage here? In fact, I would recommend writing it down. I think that is a worthwhile thing to do as well. And so, I've got two questions that spring to mind uh, straight away here. And here's the first one. What is ungodliness? What is ungodliness? Well, um, in the broadest sense, it includes all forms of sin. But I've put down three things here, which it fundamentally means... And that is, lack of reverence toward God, failing to give God his due place in our lives, and living as if God did not exist, or at least were pushed into the background somewhere. Ungodliness results in lack of respect for God's word, lack of love for God's people, lack of commitment to God's work. So, although it includes the more obvious sins, it goes much, much further, much deeper. For example, we're guilty of ungodliness when we fail to give the Bible its due place in our lives. We're guilty of ungodliness when our prayer lives become nothing more than a hurried sentence or two where we're asking God, to do for us what we think he should be doing for us. And we're guilty of ungodliness when we fail 
to fulfil our responsibilities in the home, in the place of work, in the, um, on a beach team, or wherever we happen to be at the time. What about worldly passions? Well, strictly speaking, all ungodliness already includes giving in to worldly passions. But Paul here mentions them separately, uh, presumably because he believes they posed a particular threat to the Christians he was, uh, that, that were in the care of Titus to whom he was writing. And what are they? Well, they are the lusts that are characteristic of the ungodly culture in which we live. And friends, if you hadn't realised it, we live in an ungodly culture today. What are, they, what are they? Well, the main ones are pretty obvious, really. Uh, sexual immorality in all its forms. Um, materialism, greed, drunkenness, and so on. The things which characterise the ungodly society in which we live. Now, when you put those two things together, ungodliness and worldly passions, they constitute a very comprehensive list of things that we need to say no to. Alright, so we're told to say no, but the next question is, how? How can we say no to these things? How can we be delivered from the from, from ungodliness and worldly passions. Well, a strong clue to the answer is found in our reading, where it tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to say no. Now, pretty soon, you're going to get the idea that I'm going over the top a little bit in, in asking questions. But I've got another one. And it's very basic and very important. Are you ready for it? Here's what it is. What is salvation? Thank you. I wonder if you've been able to take a, a holiday abroad recently. Um, and if so, I wonder how you went about booking your holiday. Many people like to put everything together themselves. That is, they uh, get on the internet and look for some nice accommodation, and then when they've found that, perhaps they'll get on the internet again and try and book a cheap flight, and then perhaps arrange a hire car from the, the airport. Lots of people do it that way. Now, I'm probably a bit old-fashioned, but personally, I still like the package deal approach. And uh, to me, the, there's something reassuring in knowing that everything I need to get me from the airport in, in soggy Manchester to the accommodation in, in sunny 
Mallorca or wherever, is included. I've got one contract with one company and it's all in one comprehensive package. Now, of course, if the company happens to mess things up or go bust, then the whole thing goes pear-shaped. But I have to say, that hasn't happened to me uh, so far. Now, what's that got to do with saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions? Well, let's just consider for a moment the scope of our salvation. When we talk about being saved, I guess the first thing that comes into all our minds is the fact that Christ has paid the penalty for sin on our behalf. But here's the thing, wonderful though that is, is only one aspect. It's part, it's only one part of a comprehensive package. And I find it helpful to think of it this way, and it's a little bit simplistic, but our salvation is not merely something that happened to us at some time in the past. But it also has present and future aspects. And I think it was our um, dear brother Trevor Knight, who many years ago first put it to me like this. I have been saved. Praise God for that. Ah, but he's not finished with me just yet. Because I am being saved. And there's still more to come. Because I will be saved. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 tells us we've been saved by grace through faith. 1 Corinthians 18 says that to us who are being saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. And Hebrews chapter 1, 14, verse 14, tells us that one day in the future, we're going to inherit salvation. I have been saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. They're all in the Bible. And they're all wonderfully true. Salvation in the past tense focuses on our justification. Salvation in the present on our sanctification and in the future on our glorification. In the past, we were delivered from sin's penalty. In the present, we're being delivered from sin's power. In the future, we're going to be delivered completely from sin's very presence. Now, I'm not normally given to excesses of uh, exuberant uh, joy and that sort of thing. But I think that's almost worth a hallelujah. (laughs) Don't you think? Well, what a, a wonderful package deal salvation is. And it includes everything we need to get us from where we once were, which is dead 
in trespasses and sins. To where God wants us to be one day. What is that? Well, conformed to the image of his dear son. One day, the Bible says, we shall be like him. And unlike the holiday company I mentioned earlier, there is no possibility that God is going to go bust or fail to deliver what he's promised to do. Well, for this talk, and I guess for the next one, uh, we're focusing particularly on this present aspect of our salvation, which is our sanctification. Now, I want to make a couple of points about this business of being delivered from ungodliness and worldly passions. It's not the most popular of subjects. And I think it's one about which there's been a lot of understanding. For example, some have said that for a true Christian, sinless perfection is, or at least should be, a present reality. Well, all I can say is that I've never yet met a Christian who struck me as being sinless. But on the other hand, I think many of us, many of us here this morning, live our lives with a defeatist attitude to sin. That is, we think along these lines. There's this sin in my life, and I've struggled with it for a long time now. I'll just have to accept that I'm never going to overcome it in this life. But you know, there's something wrong with this sin will always have me trapped mentality. It doesn't square up with scriptures like the one we've just read. The clear implication of what Paul is saying to Titus there is that we have the power to say no. Otherwise, why bother saying it? And there are several other scriptures that uh, back this up. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul says something very similar. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, I'm going to assume that you're a, a Christian, that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
All right, I want to ask you another important question. What is God's will for your life? Oh, you might say, well, I'm not entirely sure. I'm planning to go to such and such a a college, but I'm still praying about it. Or you might say, I want to become a missionary, but I don't know quite where God wants me to go yet. Or I'm considering becoming a full-time youth worker. I think that's what God wants me to do. Well, of course, those things are all very good and it's good that you seek God's guidance but supposing I said to you I know without a shadow of a doubt what God's will is for you now we've given the game away on the slide but here it is in black and white This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now I want you to remember that verse because it's got some very important implications, one of which I'll return to shortly. Now, I just want to check the time. You see, I'm supposed to have you out by 11 o'clock. I know we're running a bit late, but I don't want to eat too much into uh, the break time. Otherwise, I'm not going to be very popular. And uh, I'll have Roger Carswell on my back. He'll be saying that I'm denying you valuable tract buying time but we're doing alright so let's carry on and I do right yes I think I do I want to ask you another important question you see somebody might say this they might say well Steve if salvation gives me power over sin so that I'm able to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and if it's God's will that I do that then why is it that I find myself falling time and time again to the same temptation if the Bible is saying that I can have victory over my sin ungodliness and worldly passions then why is the reality of my life something very far short of that? Now, I don't claim to have all the answers to to that question, but there is one answer that's strongly suggested by our text. And this is the answer. The reason I have problems is because I haven't yet learned the lesson and need to spend longer in the school. Oh, you say? And and what school is that? 
Why the school that's mentioned, or at least implied, in our text? Who, or rather, what is the teacher? Answer. The teacher is the grace of God that brings our salvation. The teaching is all part of the package. Now, I don't want to go off at a tangent in Greek, about which I know very little, but I understand that the Greek word translated teaches really means child training. It includes the idea of instruction, but it also includes discipline and correcting and chastening. How does God discipline us? Answer, with the same love and concern that a good father disciplines his children. So how does grace discipline us? What does it mean in practical terms? Well, I've got four things, and there are probably more, but I've just got four things noted down in my notes. Firstly, grace disciplines us through the word of God. Jesus, in that great prayer he prayed in John chapter 17, said, Sanctify them, that is, his people, by your truth, your word is truth. The word of God teaches us how we should live and it does that firstly by precept. For example, the Bible tells us clearly that believers should not be unequally yoked with non-believers. It tells us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just like Christ forgave us. And there are just two examples of hundreds and hundreds of precepts through which the Bible teaches us. But the Bible also teaches by example. We've got set before us the lives of real people, and there are good examples we ought to follow. Also failures that we need to avoid. And the life of David provides us with some great lessons in dealing with sin but we haven't got time for that now let's move on to the second one the grace of God disciplines us through the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who takes the word of God and makes it burn in our hearts it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin who moves us to to hate it And to want to do what is right. The word of God. The Holy Spirit. But thirdly. Through other Christians. Do you have Christian parents who are concerned for your spiritual well-being? Then you should listen to them. When they challenge you about some aspects of your life. The same is true of godly Christian leaders. Church leaders or YL leaders, or beach team leaders, 
And maybe you've got friends who've been on the road perhaps a little longer than you. It's a good thing to listen to what they say when they challenge us about our lives. And then fourthly, through divine providence, you've probably learned that great verse, Romans 8, chapter, 30, chapter 8, verse 32. All things work together for good for the, to those who love God. What does it mean? Well, one thing it means is that God can use all manner of circumstances to teach us and correct us. He can use good things. Christian conference, a weekend like this one, perhaps. He can use bad things like illness or disappointment. The death of a friend or a relative. And dare I say it, yes, God can even use sinful things to correct us. In his sovereignty, he can even do that and use our sin and its consequences to bring home to us the realisation that we're not where we should be and we need to do something about it. Now we move on because somebody might say, well, Steve, I understand all that. But I still find myself falling to the same old temptation time after time. Have you got any advice that might help me? Well, I do have a few suggestions to, uh, to offer. Firstly, Face up to sin. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper. Whatever we do, we must not try to excuse our sin or minimise its seriousness or bury our head in the sand and pretend that it just isn't there. We need to see it for what it is and understand how much it offends God and how much it spoils our witness and our service for him you know David was far from perfect the Bible records several of his uh, failures but he was a man who was willing to face up to his sin Psalm 51 uh, provides us with a wonderful window that shows us uh, something of David's heart in regard to his own sin. We haven't got time to read the whole psalm, but here's just one quote. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Face up to sin. Secondly, don't be discouraged by past failure. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. Do you ever find that 
Satan sometimes feeds thoughts like this into your head. Once a failure, always a failure. You've tried to change that in your life before and you couldn't do it then so there's no reason to suppose you'll do it now. You're just going to have to accept that you're stuck with that sin in your life. Friends, Satan is the father of lies and that is a great big lie. No matter how many times you've failed in the past, the fact is that in Christ you have the power to overcome available to you. And that brings me on to the next point. How to say no? Face up to sin. Don't be discouraged by past failure, but depend on Christ's power. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I guess we usually call that verse to mind when we're facing some daunting task. But it's no less applicable when it comes to saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, I made the point earlier that God's will for you is your sanctification. Well then, we can pray with confidence for God's help, knowing that it's his will that we overcome these things in our lives. And we can trust him to make good his promise of strength. And then finally, avoid temptation. You know, the depth of wickedness of the human heart is such that we may feel genuine sorrow over a particular sin. But the next minute we put ourselves in a situation where we're going to be in danger of falling to the very same temptation. And this is particularly true when it comes to sins of a sexual nature. And the Bible is very clear about the course of action we should take. We need to run. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 Flee also youthful lusts. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee sexual immorality. Are there places where you go that you know you're going to be putting yourself in danger, then why are you going there? Are there channels on your television set which you know are going to drag you down? Then why not block them off? You have that technology available to you. And if that doesn't work, then why not get rid of the television altogether? Of course, the internet needs particular caution. It can be a great force for good, but it also has the potential to drag down and wreck lives. Well, time has gone, but I want to finish with this little story. 
There was once a rich man. And his life was very busy and he frequently had to visit various places some distance away from his home. And he owned a carriage and a pair of horses to take him from one place to another. But the carriage driver was about to retire. And so he needed somebody to take on that job and he received letters from three applicants and he interviewed them one by one. And he asked the first applicant various questions and then he showed his carriage and horses to him and he said, how good are your eyes? And he said, well, pretty good. He said, can you see there in the distance that track that runs alongside the the edge of the cliff? Yes, said the man, I can see them, clearly. I can see the cliff, I can see the track. Well then, said the rich man, how close to the edge of the cliff do you think you could drive my carriage? And the man thought a little while and then he said, oh, I could drive within four feet and you'd be perfectly safe. Along came the second applicant and went through the same uh, routine. How close to the edge of the cliff do you think you could drive my carriage? Well, sir, he said, I'm confident that I could drive within two feet and you'd be safe. Along came the third man. Same question. How close to the edge? And he thought for a minute and he said this. Sir, I don't think I'm suitable for the job. You see, if I were driving your horse, your carriage and horses, I wouldn't go anywhere near the cliff. I'd be too scared. And the man said, the rich man said, you've got the job. I'm going to be safe in your hands. Did you follow that little story? Did it make sense? Well then, my parting question to you here this morning is this. Why? Why are many of you living too close to the edge? In this society we live in, there are many dangerous areas. And our policy must be to stay well clear. We need to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and saying no means nipping these things in the bud. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have power to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. But Father, we 
pray this morning, especially for those of us who have been struggling with things in our lives. We pray that you would give us that help we need and that determination to say no and to take another step towards being what you want us to be and serving you in the way you want us to serve. In Jesus' name. Amen.